Our doctor is in, and so are the doctors of Capital Health. Welcome to the all-new Health 411. Every Sunday morning at 10, Dr. Jonathan Karp, along with our respected panel of guests from Capital Health, take you on an important medical journey to help you navigate your health and the healthcare system. To reach your destination, good health. Health 411 is underwritten by Capital Health. Minds advancing medicine. Capital Health is the region's leader in providing progressive quality patient care with exceptional physicians, nurses, and staff, as well as advanced technology. 1077 The Bronx. 1077 proudly nominated for National Association of Broadcasters 2019 and 2021 Marconi Award for Best College Radio Station. We are broadcasting from the Bronx All Digital Studios on the campus of Ryder University. Welcome to Health 411. I'm your host, Professor Jonathan Karp. This Health 411 program is presented by Capital Health Medical Center. In Health 411, we discuss a variety of issues affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the science of health and healthcare. Our goal is to expand your knowledge and your perspective. Today, Daniel Gaines and I, Daniel is our um, student producer, are going to have a conversation um, that's going to be a multifaceted conversation. We are going to talk about hydroencephalus, cerebral palsy, and some of the politics involved with healthcare of people trying to get into the United States. Today's conversation was um, comes from a, uh, a, a chance encounter Dan had in an airport recently. And Dan, can you tell us about your encounter and how it stimulated you to want to do a Health 411 program on this topic? So basically, um, I had a COVID test that didn't come in on time. How typical, right? And I missed the flight. So I stuck in an airport for after the flight took off about 18 hours. And in that time frame, I sat down next to a guy who I had noticed had been there basically since I walked in the airport. And I sat down and talked to him, and he just essentially got here from Venezuela. He was trying to get on a plane to Orlando, waiting on a ticket. He fled to um, kind of get a better life and get more money for his daughter and his wife because his daughter had CP and hydrocephalus. So CP stands for? Cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy. And and they were back in Venezuela? Yeah. Okay. And he said with the way it works, he can only really send stuff. He can't leave to ever see them. And it's difficult for them to come here. So It is. So what was, so in this conversation, what is it telling you about the Venezuelan healthcare system um, and the perception of the U.S. healthcare system? Well... For one, it tells me that the U.S. healthcare system is a lot better than we like to think it is. We do see the failures a lot, and the failures have been really politicized, but this is a country that internationally people come here to seek health care, and people come here for healing, because compared to a country like Venezuela, where the hospitals don't have water, it's a big step up. Well, let's, let's just say, aren't there also people who leave the United States to seek out treatments in other countries as well, whether it be Mexico or Germany or 
something like that? Yes, there are, because the U.S. is an extremely expensive healthcare system, albeit, for example, we have the most MRI machines, or we have the most technology, but for procedures that are known to be safety, like, realistically, I've se- I saw a statistic published over and over again years ago, I don't know if it's true, where it basically said it's cheaper to get a knee surgery in France, do rehab, or, well, Spain, I think it was actually, get a knee surgery there, do rehab, live there for a bit to heal, then come back here, than to just get the surgery here without health care. Um, yes, costs are a factor. So costs, I would say, are one of the reasons that people might want to leave the United States to go to other countries, especially countries that have some sort of socialized medicine in them, um, where there's a national healthcare system. Um, long-term listeners of Health 411 might recognize this topic from conversations we had about the Netherlands, about their socialized healthcare system right. where costs are much, much reduced. Uh, and, th- and that certainly is a factor, um, especially if you don't have insurance here um, in the United States, because not everybody does. On the other hand, what I was trying to get you to seek out is there are also, in addition to that, there are also people in the United States who might go to other countries for treatments that might not be like um, FDA approved in the United States. Some countries, right? Because some countries have different regulatory things for what treatments are approved, what treatments will insurance cover. you know, uh, in the in my background with neuroscience, you can go back into the '80s, where people were you know going to Mexico to get you know fetal stem cell transplants to treat Parkinson's disease, um, or also other kinds of alternative treatments, um, which might not be improved and approved in the United States because the United States uh, likes to have evidence-based medicine for approved treatments, and sometimes yeah. fads come up, treatments come up. You know, hydroxychloroquine for, you know, preventing or treating COVID-19 is a great example where rumors start, treatments start, and there are people who will separate, you know, uh, sick people from their money for unproven treatments. And uh, a, a editor of the New England Journal of Medicine a long time ago wrote, uh, there really are no alternative treatments. There's just scientifically based, evidence-based treatments, and there are those that are not. Uh, but yet, people still seek out those things, um, and sometimes you can have those things done in other countries that you can't have um, in the United States. So, I, but in, overall, I think you identified the two big reasons that people might want to leave the United States is access to you know treatments that are not available in the United States, or sometimes uh, even if things are available in the United States, there are cost factors that people might want to leave this country and go to other countries um, and, and and do those things. However. Th- what you're bringing up is a, a case of something different, is a family member coming to the United States because he wants to earn money to pay for treatments in the United States, right. which are, you know, are almost, you might say, are more expensive, more elaborate. Uh, we have more machines that go ping, and you mentioned that, the MRI machines. Uh, and that's it. I mean, we do have a lot more access to that technology, and some people say that's why things cost so much here, because uh, we test up the wazoo. Physicians often do more testing that's necessary to prevent... False. Well, lawsuits, yeah. right? 
you know, and the, you know, you know, somebody's gonna get said, well, why didn't you do this test? Why didn't you do that test? So we test up the, the up the wazoo because we have a, a society that is full of litigation. You right. know, um, if something goes wrong, you know, only any almost any aspect of society, a lot of people now their first instinct is lawyer up. You know, get a lawyer and try to sue. And one of the things you wanted to talk about was cerebral palsy and. I mean, there are entire. I mean, there are. <laughs> you went on, I guess, you went on Google and you just typed in cerebral palsy. A large portion of the hits you would be getting is law firms, you know, willing to sue physicians for you, thinking the physician could have prevented cerebral palsy in in your child. Right, which is kind of crazy. There's actually, I'm not sure what country it's in, but there's actually even a case where a girl sued, like her doctor for allowing her mother to be to go through with the birth <laughs> and the girl actually won so you had you had somebody who had some i don't know this case but you're, what you're describing is somebody was born with uh, a disability mm -hmm. or i don't even know what might have been a physical it had to be a something something that was non-normative and then became an adult and then sued her parents for allowing her to be born is that what you're saying yeah oh my well, I, I can only imagine that happening in, in, a, um, in the United States in a very uh, privileged kind of thing going on. But anyway, that's not what you wanted to talk about. Um, so, and, and then, you know, when you say, oh, hospitals in Venezuela don't have water, like, what do you, like, what do you mean by that? Where does that come from? I mean, literally. Um, First of all, I, I can't believe on a nationwide basis hospitals in Venezuela don't have water. I'm not saying they all don't, but I'm saying it's bad to the point where there's literally a sign on a major university hospital saying we have no water. Okay, so you're showing me up on the screen here in the studio a picture. When was that picture taken, then? Picture was, oh, it was 2018. Yeah, so it was a few years ago, but there is a sign on the door, and conceptually that could be, uh, it says in, in Spanish, uh, you know, patients in the hospital to be, you know, it says no, no, agua. so there is no water in that particular hospital at that particular time, but we don't know what the reason for that is. That doesn't mean hospitals, um, as a general rule, don't have water in Venezuela, right? It doesn't mean they don't have oxygen or surgery rooms or very well-trained physicians, right? So in your conversation with this fellow you met in the airport, you know, was it medical treatment or just money or to help take care of a permanently, uh, you know, differentially abled child that, that what this guy was getting at? And those are the things that we can talk about um, in the next segment. Um, however, we need to take a break for underwriting announcements. On Health 411, you are listening to this Health 411 program on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health Minds Advancing Medicine. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. We're recording. 
from the Digital Bronx Studios on the Lawrenceville campus of Ryder University. Welcome back to the Health 411 program. We're having a conversation today based on a chance encounter um, Dan had with a, um, with, a, with a father in an airport. Um, which airport was it, Dan? It was in Newark. Newark. Newark International Airport, which is now, I guess, called Liberty International Airport in some circles. Um, and Dan, when he was trapped there because of, of COVID kinds of things, had a conversation with a man who was in the United States to earn money to send it back to Venezuela for um, the medical needs of his child who uh, has uh, hydroencephalus and cerebral palsy. How old was this person's child? Did um, the child was around five. He was 29. Okay, so he's a young, relatively young man. You would call that old, but I would call that a, a very young man who had a five-year-old child with cerebral palsy and hydroencephalus. And he was here because he wanted to earn money to send it back to Venezuela for the care of his of his of his child. Um, let's talk a little bit about what hydroencephalus is and what cerebral palsy is, and then we can ask the question: Is this something that can be fixed, or is this, this is something that this child is going to basically have for the rest of um, his life? Um, which one you talk? Let's talk about hydroencephalus first. Okay, mm -hmm. hydroencephalus um, literally means like water on the brain, right. but does it mean your brain actually has water in it? No, it's when the ventricles, or essentially like, it's basically when the fluids in your skull expand so much that it kind of squeezes the brain. Well, in a, in a sense, in a sense, but let's 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 talk about that in a little bit more detail. So your brain is not a solid organ, right? right? It's not like the liver, like a big massive thing, or like a muscle. It's like spongy. You're, well, yes, but your brain has chambers in it that are fluid-filled chambers, and it's surrounded by a fluid. These the fluid that's inside the two lateral ventricles, the third ventricle and the fourth ventricle is not water, even though it's a clear like fluid. It's called cerebral spinal fluid. Cerebral spinal fluid are made by cells called the choroid plexus that sort of line these ventricles. And if you're normal, your body, these, these choroid plexus cells make uh, about, I'm gonna estimate some numbers here, um, and I don't have the notes in front of me, we're just sort of talking about it, something like four times as much cerebral spinal fluid is, that's in your brain and that surrounds your brain that travels you know, from the lateral ventricles to the third ventricle to the fourth ventricle, circulates around the brain, some goes down the spinal cord, and some travels in the, you know, the subarachnoid space right. of the meninges. And eventually it drains into the venous, drain, venous drainage of the brain um, and it's excreted. And your, your body normally makes about four times as much cerebral spinal fluid as that's there at any given time. Their cerebral spinal fluid has a lot of functions. Do you remember any of the functions, Dan, from, from yeah. your neuro class? It helps ion transport, like supply ions with cells. Um, it, it also like helps remove toxins when it mm -hmm. flows out. Right. So, right. So metabolic wastes are removed from the brain um, through cerebral spinal fluid being pushed into venous drainage of the brain. Um, it can move 
for it, within brain communication. There's you know, humoral communication in it, so it's a it's an endocrine medium for that. Um, but it also provides buoyancy for the brain. It helps keep your brain from like compressing your spinal cord when you jump up and down and it adds a layer of like cushion or like a like a like a pillow sort of a sense around the brain where you know your mother can slap you upside the head and you don't get a concussion every time right, right. um and so your when, when your mother does that to you dan she's taking advantage of the fact that there's cerebral spinal fluid in there and your brain is not going to bang up against your skull and give you a concussion every time um the main point here is, is that the, the pressure, there's a very, very high pressure of, of, uh, in the ventricles that's pushing the, con there's a constant flow of cerebral spinal fluid through the ventricles um, and around the brain and then out. Now, if something happens to that flow, right, and, and that transport is blocked, that's what you were sort of describing. Now the cerebral spinal fluid cannot get out of the brain. It can't be pushed into the venous drainage of the brain. Remember that your veins are taking classically deoxygenated blood away from organs, which is sort of a simple way of looking at it, but they're also taking away um, the metabolic waste that that organ generates away from the organ. And cerebral spinal fluid does some of that as well. Um, and if something happens, let's say there's a blockage, um, either from a tumor, from a hemorrhage, from a tear, somewhere in that flow pathway, now the cerebral spinal fluid is not draining out of the brain, it gets trapped in the brain. If it gets trapped in the brain of, a, of somebody who's very, very young, like before the when you're born your the skull your the skull is not hardened yet if it gets trapped behind that it can cause children to ha end up with these huge gymendous heads and if you googled like you know hydroencephalus you'd see almost like star trek alien time looking yeah, kind of it, people it's and it, and it's really really weird and it's usually treated by putting a shunt in and relieving that pressure draining it away um, with the idea that you know the head will shrink again and may, you know, but the real damage is not the shape of the head. The real damage is if that fluid can't get out, it's trapped behind the skull, mm -hmm. that it starts to, there's a damning effect and that pressure of the cerebral spinal fluid starts to push back on the brain to cause brain damage, right? Because the fluid can't get out. And, and as you mentioned, a brain is a very soft kind of tissue. It's very, you know, jello-like and mush-like. Um, and if that fluid can't get out and it starts pushing back on the brain, it causes brain damage. Um, and if the brain is damaged, there's a whole bunch of things that could happen. Do you know the, the metabolic waste contributes to the brain damage? It, uh, <laughs> it probably doesn't help, but um, it's I, my guess is the pressure from the brain is worse than the the buildup of metabolic wastes in the brain. But you're right, that that could absolutely, because you're changing the extracellular space as, as well. And that, I think, is the connection to cerebral palsy. Because what is cerebral palsy? Cerebral palsy is an umbrella term for a whole bunch of motor balance um, disorders that are defined sort of by the symptoms that people have as opposed to a specific area of the brain or a specific kind of brain damage. So cerebral palsy um, is uh, not a disease, 
right? It's not infectious. You can't capture capture it from pe- ca- capture it. You can't catch it from somebody. Um, right. And it's also not a degenerative disease. It's the kind of thing that happens. There's brain damage, and you're stuck with it. So it's always a kind of brain injury that results in motor problems, balance problems, and those motor problems can be manifest as movements of the limbs, walking. It can be talking, which is also a motor kind of thing. Um, there's a, you know, so the speech impairments, there's a whole bunch of these things. Somebody may also have a comorbid with cerebral palsy, some intellectual, um, you know, impairments or deficits, but people with cerebral palsy don't necessarily have intellectual impairments. And, um, people with cerebral palsy can go to college, graduate from college and do all that sort of stuff. Um, but they're not going to be on, you know, any sports teams or doing something like that. Sometimes people with cerebral palsy, um, can walk. Sometimes they can't, if they can walk, they often have, um, you know, assisted, they, they walk with assistance, whether it's mm-hmm. canes or arm braces or leg braces or, or wheelchairs or, or, or something like that. Um, and what's interesting about cerebral palsy is there is no one specific brain area or two specific area that's affected by. Um, classically, it was thought that it was caused by um, a, 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 a defect or a reduction in oxygen flow during the birthing process. And the idea that, that there might be the umbilical cord being compressed or the umbilical cord getting wrapped around the baby's neck. And it went like that for a long time. That's why the lawyers are so involved and they're looking to sue physicians. Um, it ends up that, you know, despite the fact that, I mean, not you know, lawyers getting involved, all people trying to make money. And yeah, can that happen? It probably can. Um, the studies starting around the time that, you know, I was in grad school in the 80s started to show that those were not the only causes of cerebral cerebral palsy or the brain damage related to these areas. It could be in utero infection. It could be uh, a maternal infection in the mother. It can be some sort of developmental abnormality. There's a whole bunch of things. And I think, you know, it's only a small percentage of of the brain damage is is caused by, you know, physician error or, you know, um, anoxia kinds of kinds of stuff. However, that's why the lawyers are what, what they are involved. And that leads to the connection that you know, that you, that in this, this man that you met talking about his son who had hydroencephalus and cerebral palsy in what you can assume, I guess, from talking to this guy was that the hydro, he, he had a child who was born with hydroencephalus for whatever reason, had a blockage. They didn't recognize it soon enough. So they couldn't put a drain in to release that pressure. The pressure got so big behind this guy's skull that it started pushing back down on his developing brain. Mm-hmm. And his son now has a permanent, you know, brain and developmental disorder, static disorder. And that's what this guy is talking about. And we'll talk about it a little bit more um, when we come back with Health 411 after some brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all-new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. We're recording Health 411 from the Digital Bronx Studios. Welcome back. Daniel and I are having a conversation based on a chance meeting he had with an individual in the airport who had come from 
to the United States from Venezuela to hopefully make some money to send back to Venezuela to help take care of his child, a son, who's about five years old, who had hydroencephalus and cerebral palsy as a result of that. And this individual wanted to come back, wanted to make money here in the United States, set, and he, even though he could not go back to Venezuela, right. um, and I don't know, it's because of visa status, maybe he was here illegally, and even if he went back, he couldn't get back in, or his visa only allowed him to come here for a short amount of time. I think that was the visa. He has to come here and kind of stay here, and then he can be, get his full green card and leave. Cool, because I think once you get a green card, then you can go back and forth as, as much as you want. Right. right? And, and um, I certainly don't know all immigration rules. Um, I, you know, having been in the educational system for a while, I certainly was around graduate students who uh, had visas here for education, who enter the green card lottery every year, <laughs> trying to get a green card that would allow them to not just stay students, but work here, which is, I think, the beauty of the green card. Um, but not, let's not talk about that. So this guy wanted to raise money in the United States and send it back to his people in Venezuela to help take care of his, his, his son. Um, what kinds of things might you imagine? What kinds of, you know, is this something that can be cured? What, like, what kind of treatments would he send the money back for his son to sort of take advantage of? I think it was mostly just like the maintenance for the child. But the ultimate goal was to kind of get the child out of there because in addition to there being a lot of stuff where their health care is kind of, it, it's difficult for him to really get that procedure. He's lucky that he got that procedure to keep the child alive. But the um, big thing was he wants to get the child out of there because it's a very, very... What, what what do you mean out of there? Out of Venezuela? Yeah, out of goal? Venezuela. Because from what he's been saying, and this is interesting to me because I have a lot of friends from Latin America who were, they grew up a bit wealthier and they loved it there. But he was saying for the average person, it's terrible. You need to watch like what you wear where you go it's just not a safe country to raise a child anymore is basically what he told me it would are you talking about all over the country of venezuela or some of the the major cities or for anyone who isn't wealthy is what he was oh. <laughs> so you're saying that there's socioeconomic disparities that are Right. Not just the United States, that they also exist in other countries of the world. That, right. that is, is probably very, very true. Um, um, yeah. So why, yeah. why wouldn't the rich people be more targeted than the, than the non-rich people? I mean, the rich people, they have the protections. And typically, the leaders of the crimes in countries like that can afford to being cooperation <laughs> like it it's funny like i have a friend who grew up pretty wealthy in venezuela and he was just like yeah you know in my country if you get any problems you just buy it out like criminals become the mayor 
Oh, really? In order not to be prosecuted, you become like the head of the police force as the mayor? Yeah. <laughs> and then the police will stop investigating you? Um, yeah, well, that's okay. Um, we can't say that doesn't happen here in the United States. We have a president who some people, some would argue would did that. Um, but that's a different sort of thing. Um, so it sounds like this gentleman was coming back to want to generate some treatments um, for his son who has cerebral palsy. Now, Cerebral palsy, I think we said, cannot be cured, right? right? Um, but that doesn't mean it can't be, in a sense, treated. Um, and what are some of the treatments for cerebral palsy? I believe there's rehab therapies as well as his main, the main treatment he focused on giving his child was diet and lifestyle treatment. Mm -hmm which I know we always talk about, and that's, like, something you always hear from your mom. Oh, make sure you eat well and take your vitamins. But legitimately speaking, in a situation like that, it makes a real quality of life difference to make sure that your child's in an enriched environment with proper nourishment. So okay. So one thing about cerebral, cerebral palsy is it's not a chronic progressive disease. It's like right. the areas of your brain are damaged and they're just damaged. Uh, so nutrition is a really important part. So people with cerebral palsy have normal life expectancy. It's not shortened by the disease. Depending how severe it is, the person may only have movement disorders or balance disorders or speech disorders. Um, in its most severe form, you know, people can't move any of their limbs and more in less severe forms, you might just, you know, not have, um, you know, uh, uh, may lose some fine motor skills in the less severe forms of it. And there's all different gradations of it, depending at the nature of the damage that's happened. Um, and it happens in this case, a hydroencephalus, but it's also correlated with preterm labor, you know, early birth kinds of things mm -hmm. like that. Um, so there's a high correlation there. So the treatments for it are usually things not to try to cure it, but improve the quality of the life of the people who are infected. So physical therapy is an important thing. Once they identify cerebral palsy, which can be diagnosed in, in children, infants, um, from things like can they hold their head up when they start to crawl? Do they crawl evenly or do they drag a leg behind? Uh, when you pick up a baby, you know, their legs dangle versus their legs cross. Um, what are some of the other things that they look at? Uh, balance, like toe walking kind of things in little babies when they're learning how to walk, which is not diagnostic of it, but it means there's something going on. Um, yeah, things like that. Those are all like, and when that happens, you can intervene with physical therapy. Now, physical therapy is getting people to move. And if you have a child who has a movement or balance disorder and you have them practice things over and over and over, the fact that it, the brain is still developing means the brain is a little bit plastic. doesn't mean it's made out of plastic, but it means it's not, <laughs> it's not hardwired yet. There's still some flexibility and how the connections are going to be made. So the idea is if you can train people earlier and early enough, if you can diagnose it earlier enough, the brain might use some of the things that are still working and remap and rewire. And then people would, you know, not be as maybe as, you know, a fluid is somebody who doesn't have any brain damage, but the, it might not be as severe and you can intervene on that. There's also drug therapies that are available. Now, the drug therapies are done basically to improve the quality of life and kind of things like that. Um, 
There are things like Valium, which is used a lot, which is like a relaxant. There's the drug called black baclofen, which is a GABA agonist. I think there's actually pumps, like, you know, insulin pumps that sometimes people take. Um, you have to be careful of that because, you know, you, I, think you can, I think you can overdose on black baclofen, which is the pumps are actually good. You're nodding, yeah. you know, maybe you... I'm, I'm assuming you can with most of that GABAGNIS stuff. It's really easy overdose. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, um, I, I think Botox is an FDA-approved treatment for that because oh, really? in cerebral palsy, there's different degrees of the movement. Some people, from the, as a result of the brain damage, have uh, muscles that are chronically contracted, right? Oh. And so you can relieve that contraction. That's one kind of, one, one of the symptoms of cerebral palsy is chronically, you know, tensed muscles, yeah. right? Other forms of cerebral palsy have people who have flaccid muscles, right? Where the muscles are really sort of limp and not there. If you have somebody who has the forms of cerebral palsy, where the muscles are sort of really, really tight. And you can imagine that can be painful, that can be disturbing. It makes it hard to, you know, move from a, a wheelchair to, a, you know, a bed or mm -hmm. something like that. Um, and so there are, you know, muscle relaxant kinds of drugs, like the kind of things we're talking about, uh, uh, things that remove that kind of pain. Um, there's drugs that are sometimes used like, you know, clonidine and, um, but surgery is also an option. So you have people whose legs are chronically crossed, right? You can right. surgically cut things, cut, you know, reduce the tension of the muscles. But I think the surgical options are sort of the last stream to remove the comfort yeah. and the ability of these people. Certainly if you have one of the mild forms of cerebral palsy, which is called like ataxic cerebral palsy, and all, you, all you're missing is some fine motor skill movement, none of this stuff is needed. But in the more severe forms, you might want, you know, the, the benzodiazepines, you might want Botox, you might black, these black baclofen pumps. Um, going back, I recall a number of years ago, there was the idea of like stem cell therapy to restore, I don't think any of that went anywhere, but I know there were clinical trials and stuff for that for a while. Do you know if they looked at anything with dopamine? I, why would you pick dopamine? Because I know dopamine is associated with movement in terms of it's found in the striatum, which is the area of the brain that typically controls. Yeah, but it, dep it depends what areas of the brain are involved. And remember, there are there are multiple dopaminergic pathways in the brain, Dan. I'm going to remind you. There's like yeah. a, there's the, not only the mesolimbic pathway. There's a mesocortical pathway. There's a hypothalamic pathway and the niagarostriatal pathway. The voluntary movement control is the niagarostriatal pathway of dopamine. You know those fibers that go into the striatum. But there's also you know classically a lot of coordination, balance, and movement is cerebellar based. Right, oh, and so so some of the things that are the inputs and outputs of the cerebellum, which turns excitatory inputs into inhibitory outputs, some of that is what goes sort of universally in people with cerebral palsy, which sort of makes sense because the cerebellum is a part of your brain that develops like after you come out. Right. You, you know what I mean? Because uh, you don't really need it when you're, you know, in a uterus. Um, but we will continue this discussion on Health 411 about cerebral palsy treatments and the kind of things that might be done and anything else that stimulated Dan to think about in his conversation with this guy in the airport. You're listening to 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com.
There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all-new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. We are recording from the Digital Bronx Studios, and you're listening to Health 411. Dan and I are having a conversation today about cerebral palsy, hydroencephalus, and some of the differences in healthcare between the United States and other countries, in this case, Venezuela, based on a conversation Dan had with somebody he met in the airport when he was sort of trapped there during all these flights being canceled and that we were all reading about in the news all over the place. So, so Dan, I'm assuming that you're in contact with this father and you're going to send him a link to listen to this podcast. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, the moment he um, contacts me, because I was with... I gave him my number, and then he went off to Orlando, but I'm hoping I get to see him soon. Yeah, that, that'd be cool. So we're going to get some, you know, maybe he'll listen to it in Florida, which would be great. we we'll get yeah. some bo- podcast clicks from Florida, and hopefully he'll send a link back to his family in Venezuela, and they know enough English that they'll lis- listen to. Um, how did you communicate with this guy in the airport? The English or? It was entirely through a translator. Occasionally he would just talk in Spanish. I would just listen. Mm-hmm. But all of my communication through him was through a translator. Translator. You mean like, so you typed into like Google Translate something and he read it on the screen in, in Spanish? I typed it and then you'd hear the little voice. And then one of us would be like, that wasn't what I wanted it to say. Then they'd retype. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was genuinely one of those things that wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been able to happen if we didn't have the technology to kind of erase the language barrier. Mm-hmm. But it was a good way to use up a few hours while you were both trapped in the airport. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Um, and so this guy came to the United States. In theory, he's coming here to get a job mm-hmm. and work. He's going to be a contributing member. He's going to pay taxes. He's going to be, you know, doesn't sound like he was here illegally, which is all positive things about if you wanted to come here. Right. Um, and he's going to send some of that money back to Venezuela uh, to help take care of his son, who we mentioned has cerebral palsy. And you're saying it's from hydroencephalus. But cerebral palsy is not something that, can be cured, and his son is going to live out a normal life expectancy, whatever it is in Argentina, assuming that all his other healthcare needs are, are met. Um, but it's going to be a very expensive existence because of his um, physical problems. And did you get an idea yeah. of the degree of the of his child's physical issues? It's actually not that bad because the child is capable of some rigid movement. It's Mostly, like, the ataxic, like you're talking about, the fine motor skills, mm-hmm. which he's very uh, happy about. I saw a picture. The kid does look moderately um, healthy. Well, so was a child in a weir- wheelchair or have arm uh, or leg braces or anything like that? No, the mom was just holding. Just hold, just holding five-year-old. Well, that ataxic form of cerebral palsy, and there's levels of it is the least prevalent and I looked it up about 80 per 70 to 80 percent is called that spastic very very rigid kind about 10 to 15 percent is like ethanoid dyskinetic which we have the flaccid kind of muscles and then the ataxic is with the fine motor skill problems which is the least 
common, the smallest, like 5%, 10% of the cases are that. Um, but it's also people have, you know, mixed amounts of, of, of these sort of things. So right. the possibility of that, you know, if therapy was involved soon enough, quick enough, um, that he, you know, this, he may have relatively good function and stuff like that. Um, have you ever met somebody with cerebral palsy in your life around here? Um, yes, actually. When I was a kid, there was one person at my church who had the mm -hmm. most common form, and he's actually been wheelchair-bound for the duration that I've done it. Yeah, probably probably for life. And unfortunately, yeah, that's this, this past. Okay. Um, no, so Rebel, just, just, to, just not to make it all about numbers, about, um, you know, it's, the, it's some people call it the most common childhood disability. Some form of it happens about one in 300 births. Um, you know, I've seen numbers, you know, eight to 10,000 people born with it in the United States a year or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not an uncommon thing, you know. Um, and it's, it, it's sort of an interesting thing. Um, I know people uh, in my family, I have distant, some distant relatives, uh, that uh, have cerebral palsy, and this particular relative, she graduated. I mean, she actually went to college. She graduated from college, and unfortunately, um, um, getting a job was difficult for her um, because she had uh, because I mean, she was wheelchair bound, so she, she actually has an aide to care of her, like you know, get her, even to go to the bathroom. She needs somebody to take her in and out of the wheelchair, get her dressed, bathe, all that kind of stuff. But you know, it, it's hard to have a job that way and so she said well i'll do some phone i can talk on the phone i'll have some i'll work like a phone job you know where all you have to do is answer phones and talk to people and she tried that and she was actually fired from a couple of them because you know the bosses were complaining you know people are telling people are calling back and saying you sound like you're drunk you know because of the the muscles involved in speech yes. and it was very very difficult for her to even have that kind of job and um you know it's sort of a you know, a, a sad case, you know, and now that, you know, she's older, she's not as old as me, but she's older, both her mother and her father passed away and she's sort of on her own and, you know, she needs funds to pay aides to take care of her to do these basic sort of things. And, you know, um, you know, you would hope that's what this guy's very conscientious. He's trying to build up a, you know, a, you know I'm throwing this out at him if he's going to listen. You want a bankroll the, the care of your son for your son's lifetime, even after you're gone, right. even though he's only 29 years old, you sort of want to build up a nest egg to help take care of this guy, you know, irrespective of what he ends up doing for the rest of his life. And I mention it in the context that I'm doing it is I don't know what potential job options are in Venezuela for the son. I don't know what the social safety net is um, in terms of healthcare in Venezuela. For his son, did he talk about any of that kind of stuff with you? Um, his big thing with that was he's really the only person in his family that can really find work anytime soon. His big thing was he didn't talk much about that. He talked more about getting the kid and the wife here. Oh, okay. That way he could build that sort of nest egg here. Mm hmm so this guy's making the judgment that because of his son with cerebral, uh, cerebral palsy, that the um, resources available to him in the United States, if he can get him here, would be far superior than 
than than it's available in Venezuela. On top of that, it's also just safer. Because it was interesting. He's actually talking about how it's not even safe to wear jewelry for the average person there. Oh, really? So the economic situation is if you wear jewelry, you set yourself up to be a target of a, a theft? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, would... more so a murder, actually. Oh, gee. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you don't have to worry about the person fighting back if, you know, they're, they're on the ground dead. Yeah. Uh, but that's an interesting thing, which would be, uh, um, you know, j- just something to think about is, you know, one of the things that happens even here in Mercer County, here in New Jersey, Mercer County is, um, this is not a cerebral cerebral palsy thing, but it's an autism thing. The the resources in Mercer County are deemed by some to be very, very good for children who are sort of on the spectrum, who have different forms of autism. So we have people from different parts of New Jersey all moving in Mercer County to take advantage of the resources here. Right. And what does that do? It puts an extra burden on the resources, right? Some of those are paid by taxpayer dollars and you have more and more kids coming in. You have this sort of like creating sort of an autism cluster here because people come to take advantage of the resources we have that we have here in Mercer County, which is a great thing if you have somebody in need. Um, but it, we're, we're also hearing from you, Dan, is that can happen at the international level too. Because this guy is deeming, and I don't know what his background is, that the potential resources available to his child in the United States are greater than if he just stayed in Venezuela for, for a, a lot of reasons. And um, politically, do you think that's a reason to get to, you know, is, should there be, should the United States allow people to bring in family members with disabilities in the United States? I feel like... They should, but it should be moderated. And we say this all, and I like say this all the time, but I feel like the big thing in this country isn't that it needs more or less regulations. It needs better logic and science-based regulations because Mm -hmm. realistically, we have, for example, the highest infant mortality rate of the developed world, but we have the most technology available so there needs to be a proper allocation of that technology because we should in theory be the most successful surgical country if we have the most technology and the best training at our disposal mm-hmm. I mean, and that, that's arguable i mean train i mean these argue, you know, some people in training is better, but in the context of what we're talking about here, you know, technology doesn't guarantee success. And we have politicians who sometimes get elected by saying things like, you know, other countries are entering, you know, are emptying their jails and they're getting rid of like all their drug abusers and they're going to send them to the United States. And it becomes a political issue because we do have politicians who, who sort of talk like that, yeah. uh, unfortunately. And so but you're bringing up a point at what, you know, who should get in and who should not get in. Um, it's, a, it's a thing. And it's, it's something that we have to decide as a country what we want it to be. That's beyond the scope of this conversation today. But today's conversation is just to give people something to think about. Um, and this is, unfortunately, the end of this last segment. This is 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. We're recording from the Digital Bronx Studios. Thank you for listening to Health 411. This program is part of Capital Health's and Rider University's efforts to bring people together to address issues associated with all aspects of health and healthcare. 
If you have questions and or comments about this program or want to make suggestions for future broadcasts, please email us at health411 at rider.edu. Remember, you have a doctor's appointment scheduled for every Sunday at 10 a.m. Don't miss the all-new Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Karp and our expert medical guest from Capital Health. You can listen to Health 411 anytime on demand. Go to 1077thebronc.com slash health411 to listen to past episodes or tune in every Thursday at 9 a.m. to hear the weekend rewind edition of Health 411. Health 411 on 1077thebronc is underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. Capital Health is the region's leader in providing progressive quality patient care with exceptional physicians, nurses, and staff as well as advanced technology.